All right, Shalom Aleichem, we're back and at it. Um, today's sugya needs some prerequisite knowledge, so we're going to start off giving over some fundamental principles in the prohibition of yichud. Yichud literally means uh, seclusion. You're not allowed to be, a man is not allowed to be secluded with someone who it's forbidden for him to have intimate relations with. Um, and we're going to discuss the nature now of that prohibition, whether it's uh, a Torah prohibition, whether it's a rabbinic prohibition, maybe it depends on with the person that you're in seclusion with, and how, after we go and uh, determine some of the halachas and the practical application of this halacha, of this mitzvah, and then we're going to go back and see a new part of our Gemara and try to answer up some difficulties based off the principles that we're establishing right now. So, let's start off. Source number one is a Gemara in Maseches Kedushin. Maseches Kedushin has as location for the majority of the laws in regards to Hilchas Yichud. And we start off source one, Amr Rabbi Yechonon Mishum Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yechonon said in the name of Rabbi Yishmael, Rem is the Yichud min Torah Menayin. Where is there an allusion to Yichud in the Torah? Now the very fact that the Gemara asks this question, it's asking for an allusion, a Rem is, so that already is indicative of the fact that there's something unusual about this halacha. It doesn't say, what's the source? The Gemara starts off understanding that there's no explicit source, but rather that uh, there's only allusion to it. So we're going to discuss the ramifications of that also, what maybe certain uh, assumptions that are being made, certain assumptions that are not. So the Gemara quotes a source, Shnei Amar, as it says in the Torah, Kisischa Chicha Beni Mecha. So when you're brother, the son of your mother, tries to persuade you. Now, what's it referring to persuade you? It's referring to try, when your brother tries to convince you to do a bodhisattva. So the assumption is that your brother trying to convince you to do a bodhisattva is doing that privately. That's how the Pnei Yoshua explains it. And the reason he's doing it privately is because a person who is known to doing, be doing a bodhisattva is liable to the death penalty. So he does that privately. Now, why does the Torah go out of its way to say the son of your mother? It could say, ben ben Continues the Gemara, the, only the son of your mother might try to persuade you, but the son of your, bro- your father wouldn't try to persuade you. Rather, it's coming to teach you an illusion. This is the illusion. This is the hint. The rem is that, ben imimo, that a son is allowed to be secluded with his mother. But it's forbidden for him to be alone with any of the forbidden relations. In the Torah, that's a, there's a prohibition of that seclusion. Now, the basic read of this Gemara is telling us that the prohibition is actually deraisa, and it's sourcing in a pasuk. Now, this take, this stance, is buttressed by the Gemara of Zara in source 2. The Gemara says explicitly, Yichud debas Yisrael deraisahi. Seclusion with a Jewish girl is a Torah prohibition. How do we know? Dam Rav Yechonon Rav Shimon ben Yehud Sadok. Here, Rav Yechonon said it, not in the name of Yishmael, but rather in the name of Rav Shimon ben Yehud Sadok. I'm not sure how to explain that discrepancy. But it's the same Gemara. Rav is the Yichud min Torah Menayin. Where do we see, where do we find an allusion to Yichud, the prohibition of being seclusion in the Torah? Shinemar, as it says in the Pasuk that we just quoted, a son can be alone in seclusion with his mother. But you can't seclude yourself with anyone else in the Torah. So now comes along the Gemara and clarifies. When is seclusion prohibited? That's only seclusion with a married woman. And came David a Melech. The Gazer, and David Melech made a decree that seclusion with a Jewish girl who's not married yet, and technically you could marry her. So there, that's Asa that's prohibited rabbinically. And following David Melech, the students of Bishalom Bishamai made a new Gazera, and Gazer, and they prohibited rabbinically um, seclusion even with an angel. So coming out according to the Gemara in Avodah Zara, there's two degradations. One is Yichud Daraisa. Yichud Daraisa is seclusion with a married lady. And for the same price, anyone who has a prohibition of Kares in that relationship, and anyone who 
is not a prohibition of kares, is forbidden rabbinically to seclude yourself with. That's Rashi's stance. The Rambam pretty much goes the same way. The only difference is he says that the prohibition of Yichud is midivrei Kabbalah. It's not. It's from the Nevi'im as opposed to divrei Torah. But in essence, there's no practical difference. Even on divrei Kabbalah, the simple understanding is that Safik Dereis Lachumra, Safik Dereis Kabbalah Lachumra. Halachically, there's no real ramifications to the fact that it's divrei Kabbalah as opposed to divrei Torah. But the Rambam's coming based off this language of Rem is the Yichud Mina Torah. It's only an illusion, it's not explicit. Now, that's the source of the prohibition itself. Now, in regards to how do we punish this prohibition, once we prove that there is such a prohibition, and the simple understanding is that it's Asa Mina Torah, so what's the punishment? So in Source 3, he brought another Gemara in Kedushin. Amir Rav, Rav is of the opinion, Malkin al Yichud vein Isn al Yichud. We give lashes. If a person goes into seclusion with someone he's prohibited to, but we don't forbid them to their spouse. Usually, if someone has an adulterous relationship, the adulterous pair becomes forbidden to their spouse. So here, when it comes to yichud, that prohib- that doesn't create that prohibition to the spouse. All it does is result in a punishment. That punishment is malchus. I'm a Ravashi. Ravashi disagrees. Lo amron pnuya. The only malchus which a person's going to get is when it comes to seclusion with an unmarried girl. But when discussing being a seclusion with a married woman, then you don't get malchus. Why not? So that people don't speak bad about her children. Now, what's that mean, people don't speak badly about her children? If it's known because a lady gets malchus that she was in seclusion with another man, and then following that seclusion, she has a child, so some people might come to say that that child is not from a husband, rather it's from the man she was in seclusion with. And so people, so in order so that people won't find out that she was in seclusion, and therefore talk badly about her children, we don't give public punishment like Malkus for such an act. So that's, and that's the halacha, we paskin like Ravashi, that even though there's a prohibition of Yichud, so nonetheless, we don't give a punishment for it. Now, there's a very interesting thing to point out here in Ravashi. The Ravashi says, the only time Rav said you give Malkos is when it comes to Yichud of a Penuya, the Malkos of seclusion with a non-married girl. Now, we saw before in the Gemara in Avodah that Yichud with a non-married girl is only rabbinic in nature. It's not a Torah prohibition. So that means that the Malkos, the lashes that we're discussing here, aren't the Malkos that the Torah demands when a person transgresses a law, a Torah prohibition. Rather, we're talking about a different type of Malkus, Malkus Mardus. Malkus Mardus are rabbinic Malkus, and the whole nature of them is different. Whereas when it comes to Malkus Teraisa, so they have to go to a basin of 23, and they have to assess how many lashes you can take, and there's, two, there's specific ways we give it to you. You have to be holding onto a post, and we slash, and it has to be two on the back and one on the front, and it always comes in pairs of three, etc., etc. There's a lot of halachas that come when it comes to Malkus Teresa. When it comes to Malkus Terabanan, it's not true. Those halachas don't apply. There's no limit to how much they can give you, and they really can even give you Malkus until the person dies. So the whole nature of the Malkus are different. And from this Gemara, it's very clear the fact that we're limiting the Malkus to Malkus of a Pnuya as opposed to Malkus of an Ishis Ish. It's very clear the Malkus are talking about a rabbinic Malkus as opposed to Torah Malkus. That's source number three. Now, source number four says as follows. I'm a rabba. Rabba wants to cite a new halacha. Ba'ala be'ir, if a lady's husband's in the city, we're not concerned of yichud. There's no prohibition. It sounds like the simple read. There's no prohibition. I'm a Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef says another halacha. Pesach pasuach l'reshus ha'rabim. If the opening of the house is open to reshus ha'rabim, so then, again, there's no concern when it comes to Yichud. So we have two different sources, it seems, that they're both telling us exceptions to this prohibition. Rav Bibi went up to the house of Rav Yosef, and they had dinner in on the second floor of Rav Yosef's house. After they had, they broke bread, and they benched, Amalahu, Rav Yosef said, while Rav Bibi was still up in the second story, so he told his family, 
Shkulu Dargamitute Bibi. Take out the ladder from underneath Bibi, meaning to say, leave Rev Bibi up on the second floor with no way for him to get down, and we're going to leave. Now, why is that? Because he didn't want Rev Bibi to be able to get down because Rev Yosef was leaving the house, and he didn't want Rev Bibi to be in seclusion with his wife. Yes, the Gemara, why does that make any sense? Vahama Rabba, we started off that Rabba made a claim, he made a statement. That if a woman's husband is in the city, so then we're not concerned for Yichud. So even if Rav Yosef was walking out of the house, who cares? Let Rav Bibi be alone with Rav Yosef's wife in the house. As long as Rav Yosef doesn't leave the city, there's no problem. So who cares? Answers the Gemara, Shiny Rav Bibi, Rav Bibi is different because Rav Bibi used to be neighbors with Rav Yosef's wife back in the day. And since they were neighbors when they were children, and they already had a certain degree of familiarity with each other, under those circumstances, there we don't have the allowance of Baal But under normal circumstances where they weren't childhood friends or they didn't know each other from back in the day, so then there's an allowance of Baal Now Rashi here, in Source 5, says something very interesting. Rashi says, if a husband, if her husband's in the city, we're not concerned if she's in seclusion. Says Rashi Lahalkos, in order to give her lashes. Why wouldn't we give her lashes? Because she's afraid that her husband's always going to come. So Rashi explains what's a rabbi's allowance that we are not concerned for yichud when the husband's in the city. Rashi explains it that the allowance is we don't punish her. But practically speaking, the implication of Rashi is that she's doing an Isser. It's still prohibited. Which is so interesting because on one hand, right, the Gemara says, And the Gemara right afterwards says, in the name of Yosef, says, if the opening is open to public domain, we're also not concerned for Yichud. And there Rashi doesn't say this caveat. So the simple understanding of Rav Yosef Salacha, of when you're open to public domain, is that it's permissible. There's no pro, it's not that it's prohibited, just uh, we don't allow, well, there's no punishment for it. And when it comes to Rabbah, so there Rashi goes out of his way. No, you should know that it's really Asr, but we just won't punish you for it. So we have to, we're going to have to address this point in Rashi. How did Rashi know to explain these, these two Gemaras, which are juxtaposed and use the same language, how do you know how to explain them having a different halachic significance? Now, let's see Tosvos. Tosvos is going to ask a different question on Rashi. And after we see Tosvos, then we're going to be able to address our Gemara. So it comes along Tosvos and says as follows. Pirish Bekuntras. Rashi explained this incident with Rebibi and Rav Yosef. In That the implication was that we say we're not concerned when the husband is in the city, we're not concerned to give her malkos. Mashma, mitoch pirusho, and the implication of his commentary is as follows. Ha'isura That even though we won't give you punishment, nonetheless, nonetheless, we're still concerned that there's an issue here, it's still a prohibition. Yes, tosfos vekasha. If there's really a prohibition, deem kain, if that's true, my parach besamachar of Yosef to come to school targa mituta bibi. Vahamer Rabbah baile beirin chayshish l'mishim yichud. The Gemara asked on Rav Bibi, right? Let's remember. I'm sorry, on Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef said to his family, "Take the ladder out from under Rav Bibi." And the Gemara said, "Why, why, Rav Yosef? Are you telling us to take the ladder out? It's baile beir." So according to Rashi, why is that a question? What are we meaning to say? Because when it comes to a case of baile beir. There's still a prohibition. So granted that even though even though she's not going to get punished for such a thing, it's still prohibited. And that's why he said to take the ladder out. So it says to the source of my kusha. So why is that difficult? What are they getting upset with the Yosef about? Even though we can understand that there's not going to be Malkos because Balabi'ir, like Rashi told us, Isura Mihaika. Nonetheless, it's a prohibited. And therefore, Rav Bibi said, I'm sorry, Rav Yosef said, take the ladder out from under Rav Bibi so they won't transgress this prohibition. It's actually a very straightforward Gemara. So according to Rashi, 
Why would the Gemara ask the question on Rav Yosef, why are you doing this? It's very understandable, according to Rashi's explanation, why Rav Yosef is saying to take the ladder out. Therefore, explains Tosfos, Venir Lafarish, therefore, I Tosfosim want to explain differently. I Tosas disagree with Rashi, and when the Gemara says that we're not concerned at all when it comes to Yichud, that means not just that there's not a punishment, but that it's not even prohibited. So that means we have a fundamental dispute here between Rashi and Tosfos. According to Rashi, when Rabbis has an allowance of the husband being in the city, that's just to tell us that there's no punishment here. Whereas when it comes to Tosfos, the allowance of Balabi'ir lets us know that not only is there not a punishment, but it's even permissible. So the Gemara starts on Chafayim and Beis 25b, a little more than halfway in. Va'amir of Abba Barzavda, Amir Rav, Rav Abba Barzavda said in the name of Rav, Chasen v'hasheshvinon v'chol b'nei achopa p'turin min asuka kol shiva. That a chasen, a groom, and his escorts, and anyone who comes to the wedding festivities are exempt from sukkah during the entirety of the Shava Brachos. Now, how do you have Shava Brachos during sukkahs? The Gemara Noid Katnan Davches tells us that there's a prohibition of getting married on a festival. The explanation is because we want you to focus on the simcha of either the wedding or the festival. So Rashi there explains that that's only true when it comes to getting married on the festival itself. But if you get married before the festival, then you can have Sheva Brachos even on the festival itself. The prohibition's on the wedding and not celebrating the wedding. Therefore, it must be we're talking about a case where he got married on Yudalat Tishrei, Erev Sukkot, and the Sheva Brachos continue throughout the holiday of Sukkot. So now, these people, the chasen, the groom, and everyone else who's involved in the wedding festivities are exempt. So yes, the Gemara, my time, what's the reason they're exempt? Answers the Gemara, Mishum Duboi Memechtei Velechtu Basukkah. It's because they have to celebrate and they have to eat in the sukkah. So I asked the Gemara on that line of thought, Velechtu Basukkah. So what's the problem? So have the wedding festivities in the sukkah itself. So answers the Gemara, ain't Simcha No, you can only have the Simchas Chasen and Kala in the place where the Chuppah was. Now, even though that's not true nowadays, in the time of the Gemara, that's true. It's a discussion. Tosas asked the question already about it here, but we're not going to get into it at this point. So, yes, the Gemara, Velechlu Besukkah, Velechlu Bechopa. So, who cares? Fine. We can't have the party in the Sukkah itself, but at least eat in the Sukkah and have the party at the Chuppah. Have it in two different locations. Answers the Gemara, ain't Simcha Elabamakam Suda. Says the Gemara, no way. You can't have a party without food. Obviously, you need the food there also, and therefore you can't do it. Ask the Gemara of a Levdu Chupa a Jewish question, right? You need to have a sukkah. You have to have only. You can only have the party in the place where the chuppah is. So fine, make the chuppah in a sukkah. If you make the chuppah in a sukkah, so we answered up all our problems. So in order to address this, we have two different opinions. Abai Amar Mishum Yichud. The reason we can't make the chuppah in a sukkah is because it's going to lead to an issue of yichud. What that issue is, the Gemara doesn't say. That's open for interpretation, but it's going to present an issue of yichud. Rava says that if we make the sukkah in, I'm sorry, if you make the chuppah in a sukkah, that's going to lead to a situation of tsar chasen. Tsar chasen is that the groom is going to be distressed. Again, the Gemara doesn't explain what the difference is, what that is, what's that situation of tsar chasen. So yes, the Gemara, my benayu, what's the practical difference between Abayi and Rava? Abayi says because of yichud, the prohibition of being secluded. And according to Rava, the problem is because of tsar chasen, the groom is going to be distressed. The practical difference is as follows. There's a lot of people going in and out of the sukkah. If the problem that of making the chuppah in the sukkah is because of, yik, of yichud, so if people coming in and out all the time, then there's no problem of yichud. But if the problem is that the groom is going to be distressed, so even if people are going to be coming in and out the whole time, Ika, nonetheless, is still a problem of Tsar Chasen. So that's the dispute here. Why don't we make uh, a Chuppah in the Sukkah? According to Abayi, it's going to lead to a situation of Yichud. 
According to Rava, it's going to lead to a situation where the groom is distressed. And the practical difference is, are you allowed to make a chuppah in the sukkah when a lot of people are going to be coming in and out? According to Ba'i, yes. According to Rava, no. This is the last line of the Gemara we're going to see now. And then we're going to go into this discussion of Abayin and Rava. Amir Rabzeira. said, Ana achli basukkah I myself had... I ate my wedding meals and my Sheva Brachos meals in the sukkah, but I partied in the chuppah. And even though I didn't have any food where I was partying, nonetheless, I was even more happy than if I had food at my party. Why was he more happy? He fulfilled two different mitzvahs. Not only did he fulfill the mitzvah of Simchas Chasen and Kala, but he also fulfilled the mitzvah of sukkah. And therefore, if you're a tzaddik like Abzeira, then it even might be a nice thing to have the party and the, the meal in two different locations in order to fulfill both mitzvahs. So now I want to get into this discussion of what's, this, what's the understanding of Abayi and Rava. So Abayi says, Mishum Yichud. So comes along Rashi, and Rashi explains as follows. Mishum Yichud, Distam Sukkah Hayu Osin Begagosayin. Rashi tells us that the normal sukkah that they used to make was on the roofs. Now, how did Rashi know? Rashi read a Beruayin book. He listened to a discussion. He was a history major. I don't think so. Rashi, I think, was medayik in the Gemara. He made a precise reading in the Gemara. Because in the Gemara asks, what's the practical difference between Abai and Rava? The Gemara said the following. There are people, there are a lot of people the nafki that go out, the aili lahasam, and they go up. They go up to there, meaning they have to go up into the chuppah. So if you make a precise reading, why does it say they have to go up? It doesn't say denafki v'nichnasi. It doesn't say they go out and come in. It says denafki v'aili, they go out and they come up. So Rashi tells us they went up. Oh, so that must mean then that normally the sukkahs were on the roofs. The in derech tamid. And there's not a constant influx of people coming in and out, because they have to go up a flight of stairs at least in order to get to the sukkah. Now, if that's true, there's the fact at hand, so what's that have to do with Yichud? Says Rashi, Maybe the groom is going to leave the chuppah to use the facilities. And someone else is going to be in seclusion with his wife, with the, with the bride. Meaning to say that, granted, during the wedding ceremony, there's no problem. But let's not forget, you party for seven days. So that means that if sometime during the seven days, someone's coming to the chuppah, to the sukkah, I'm sorry, in order to celebrate with the new husband and wife. So we're afraid that one time during those seven days, they're actually the husband's going to go down and only one of his friends is there. And if he goes down to use the facilities and only is one of his friends is there to celebrate with them, that means he's going to leave one of his friends alone with his wife. And that's going to be a prohibition of Yichud. So in order so that we don't need to such a situation, therefore we prohibit, according to Abaye, the ability to have a chuppah inside of a sukkah. That's how Rashi understands Abaye. I want to see the next Rashi, how he understands Rava, and then I want to break into it to try to understand these ideas even better. Says Rashi, what's the Tsar Chasan? The Tsar Chasan, the distress of the Chasan. Shamakam Tsar, that the location is very narrow. Upasuach, and it's open. It's narrow and open. Sheina ela shalosh it only has three walls. And he's embarrassed to be flirtatious with his wife. So according to Rava, what's the reason you can't get married in a sukkah? Because if you get married in a sukkah, you're going to have to spend the Sheva Brachos in the sukkah. And since the Sheva Brachos in the sukkah are going to be a place where there's no privacy, there's only three walls there, and the chassan is going to be embarrassed to be flirtatious with his wife, Therefore, we want to make the chuppah in a place where he's going to be able to be flirtatious with his wife and enjoy those sheva brachos. That's Rashi. Okay? So the, according to Abaye, we're concerned it's going to lead to a circumstance of solitude, of seclusion, with one of the chassan's friends. And according to Rava, we're concerned that the chassan himself is going to be upset because he's not going to be able to be flirtatious with his wife. Now, if that's true, 
How can these two opinions coexist? This is, this is it's tremendously difficult. Meaning to say, what's the problem of Yichud? The problem of Yichud is being in seclusion with a lady. Now, why is that a problem? Because we don't want you to have prohibited relations. So if you're in a situation that you're going to have, you know, be in seclusion, we're concerned there's prohibited relations, so then that's also the Torah forbade that. But here, according to Rashi and Sar Chasun, the Chasun himself, the groom himself, is embarrassed not to, not to actually be intimate, but just even to be flirtatious, he's, he's embarrassed. So here you're going to tell me that Abaye is really telling us that what? Abaye is telling us we're concerned that they're going to... Gonna, there's a real concern here of intimate relations. Yet at the same time, Rav is going to tell me not only we're not concerned that there's going to be intimate relations, we're concerned that he's not even going to be flirtatious. And since he's not going to be flirtatious, that's prohibited. How could that be? What are we talking about? So what are you going to tell me? We're talking about two different types of sukkahs, the two different circumstances. That according to Abaye, we're discussing a circumstance where there's four walls and there is privacy. And according to Rav, it's not true. There's three walls and there's no privacy. And nonetheless, it's Asar. It can't be. It can't be. That can't be pshat. Why do I know? Because after the Gemara brings a bayin rava, what's the Gemara say? My benayu. What's the practical difference? And the Gemara, according if that's true, should say the practical difference is: Are we talking about a three-walled sukkah or a four-walled sukkah? And the Gemara doesn't say that. The Gemara says it depends. If people are coming in and out, so if that that means that in a three-walled sukkah. Abaye nonetheless is concerned for a prohibition of Yichud, even though the whole world can see in because there's only three walls. And according to Rava, not only we're not concerned for Yichud, but we're concerned to the opposite extreme, that the groom isn't even going to be flirtatious. So how can these two things coexist? So now I'm going to share with you a Chiddush of Rav Shach. Rav Shach was the Rosh Hashiv in Panovich. He, was, he learned in uh, Panovich in Europe in the mid-1930s. Then he switched to Sabladka. He learned from the altar of Slavadka. And besides that, he also learned from Rav Baruch Ber. During that time period, they also sent him quite often to speak with the Chafetz Chaim. And he got a lot of, you know, shimush as being a Rav and making decisions for the masses. Until finally, in the year 1941, he got into Eretz Yisrael. He lived in Petach Tikva until Rav Kahanemin reached out to him and made him the Rashiv and Panovich in Bnei Brak. So that was Rav Shach. Rav Shach has a tremendous Kiddush here. Besides Tosas' question on Rashi in the Gemara and Kedushin, that according to Rashi's understanding that there's a prohibition of Yichud, even when it's Valabi year, Rav Shach has two different questions that he wants to add on. Number one is that if Baal Be'ir tells us what? That there's no, pro, there's no punishment, yet there's still a prohibition. He asks of Shach, why do I need a Gemara to tell me there's no punishment for Malkos, of Malkos when it comes to Yichud? We know already, we saw the Gemara together in the beginning of this year, that according to Rav Ashi, we never give a punishment for a married lady being in seclusion. So why do I need a Gemara to tell me that there's an exemption of punishment when it comes to when it comes to Balabir, when a husband's in the city. Even if we didn't have that Chiddush of Balabir, she still wouldn't get Malkus because she's a married lady and married women don't get Malkus. Asides from that, he also asks, how did Rashi know to make a distinction between Balabir and Pesach Pesuch Lushus Arabim? When it comes to Balabir, that's prohibited. Yet when it's the room that they're secluded in is open to public domain, that itself is going to be permissible, even according to Rashi. Those are his three questions he wants to ask. Now, he says a principle as follows. He says, really, you know, Yichud, according to Rashi, is a Torah prohibition. So now when the Torah prohibits something, you know, you might think that the prohibition of Yichud is you can't be in seclusion cause we're afraid it's going to lead to intimate relations. Says of Shach, it could be that Rashi is of the opinion that when the Torah prohibits something, it doesn't prohibit something because we're afraid it's going to lead to something else. When the Torah prohibits something, that circumstance that it's prohibiting inherently is forbidden. So it's not, we're not worried, we're not concerned that if a person's in seclusion, what it's going to lead to. But maybe the reality of being in seclusion alone inherently is prohibited. 
And if that's true, Rav Shach says, that means according to Rashi, any time a person's in seclusion, irrelevant of whether we're concerned that it's going to lead to illicit relations, so there, under those circumstances, it's still going to be prohibited. So therefore, what happens with Balabitir? Balabitir is a place where they're actually in seclusion. The, the man and woman are in seclusion. If they're in seclusion, that's actually prohibited. Why? Because the Torah prohibited that reality, that circumstance of, of seclusion. Yet, comes along Rashi. So why is it? What's the, it's, it's also, so what's it mean that, that is permissible, Balabitir? Balabitir is permissible, meaning to say you don't get lashes. Now, like we said, Ravashi already said you don't get lashes. So why do we need the Chiddush of Malabayir? So therefore, that's what we go back to what we discussed earlier. And in Ravashi, Ravashi said that a married lady doesn't get Malkos, but an unmarried lady gets lashes. Meaning to say, the lashes we're discussing are the rabbinic lashes. So, as follows. Ravashi tells us that really a lady doesn't get Malkos Midaraisa. Why not? Because of the fact that she's a married lady. We don't want to be Mitzilazavana. We don't want people saying bad things about our kids. But maybe she should still get rabbinic lashes. The right, she should be included within those, that punishment that David Amelech and the, the students of Basil Beishamai enacted on other types of women. To there comes along the Gemara and says, no, when it's Balabir, we don't even give her those rabbinic lashes. Now, why would it be that under circumstances where the husband's not in the city, we would give her rabbinic lashes? I assume the answer is that, like we discussed already, that rabbinic lashes are inherently different. There's not all the fanfare. It's not the same, you know, treatment it's based in. The procedures are totally different. And therefore, it could be that it's a lot less known what happened and why it happened. So therefore, that would explain... That's Rav Shach's take on Shittas Rashi. Whereas... When it comes to Pesach Pesuch L'Rishus Arabim, if the room that they're in seclusion in is open to public domain, so then, claims of Shach, that's not called seclusion. Anytime someone can come in and out, you're not secluded. So even if you're in a room by yourself, you could be standing in uh, you know, a museum and looking at an exhibit, and it's only you and a lady. So nonetheless, it's not called Yichud. Ah, you're secluded in this room. The answer is no, you're not secluded in the room. Inasmuch as you're in a public area, that someone can come in and out of that room at any moment, and people do. So the fact that you're in a room now, by yourselves, isn't qualify as seclusion with her. And therefore, that's not prohibited. So, according to Rashi, the reality of being in seclusion is prohibited, but it's only punishable when you're in a circumstance where we're not concerned, where we are concerned that it might lead to inappropriate relations. Why? Because there, that's rabbinic malchus, which aren't, don't have such a fanfare. But if we're not concerned that it's going to lead to prohibited relations because she's afraid her husband's right outside. So then, even the rabbinic lashes, we don't give her. Now, how does that help our sugya? It helps our sugya as follows. Comes along Rashi and explains Abaye why we're concerned because of Yichud. We're concerned because of Yichud, because maybe the chassan's going to go downstairs and relieve himself. Aye, we asked, but Balabir is permissible. The answer is no. Balabir is not permissible. It's still forbidden. So granted, there might not be a punishment. Agreed, there might not be a punishment. But nonetheless, that reality is prohibited. And that's what Abai is coming to try to avoid. A circumstance where she's alone with the husband. So if that's true, that according to Abaye being in a room that people don't have access to, even though they can see you, is still qualified as seclusion, so then where does Rava disagree? So it could be that Rava disagrees because inasmuch as you're in plain sight, granted, people don't have access to come in and out, but you're still in an area which is open to public view. So it could be that an area which is open to public view, even though it's not open to their usage, nonetheless is considered public domain, and therefore, if it's considered public domain, there's no prohibition of yichud. Aye, there's no prohibition of yichud, so then how come we can't make the chuppah inside of the sukkah? Therefore, comes along Rav and says a chiddush. 
even though there's no problem of yichud, there's something called tsar chasen. We want the chasen and kala to be able to be flirtatious together. They just got married. And if he has, doesn't have the ability to do so, so therefore, so therefore, we're not going to allow you to make the chuppah there. So to recap Shitas Rashi, according to Rashi, the prohibition of yichud is to be in a reality of seclusion. Therefore, even if the husband's in the city, nonetheless, it's still going to be prohibited. All that it's going to do is mitigate the Chi of Malkos. So therefore, Abayu says you can't get married in a sukkah in order because then the Sheva Brachos are going to all take place in a sukkah. And we're going to concern that it's going to lead to a, a situation where the bride is left in seclusion with someone else. Whereas according to Rava, inasmuch as people can see into the sukkah, even though they don't have access to it, that already disqualifies it from being considered seclusion. And therefore, he introduces a new concept called Sar Chasen, that we want the Chasen to be able to be flirtatious with his wife during the Sheva Brachas. So that's the end of this sugya. Now we're going to start the next sugya, which is pretty much the last sugya of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah, and try to get uh, some closure on this concept. So it comes along, the Gemara and says as follows, Tanu Rabbanan, it was taught in Abraisa, Chasan v'sheshvinen v'chol b'nei achopah p'turin minat the groom and his escorts and anyone who is included in the wedding festivities is exempt from davening, minat tefillin, he's exempt from tefillin, v'chayavin b'kriyashma, but they're still obligated in kriyashma, m'shum Reb Shila amru chasan pater v'sheshvinen v'chol b'nei achopah chayavin, Reb Shila disagrees. Reb Shila says a chasan is exempt, and just the escorts and the chuppah, bnei chuppah, are obligated. Now, it's not explicit in the Gemara here there, what Rav Shila was discussing. When Rav Shila says that the chasan is exempt and everyone else is obligated, is he referring just to Kriyashma? Or is he referring to all the mitzvahs? That's not clear. We're going to have to see how the Rishonim understand that. So, Tanya, Amir of Chananya ben Akavya, Chananya ben Akavya taught in Ebraisa, Kosve Svarim and Tvilinim a person who writes svarim, svarim are part of nach, tefillin, or mezuzos, hein v'tagreyin v'tagrei tagreyin, whether it's them, themselves, the author, the writers, or the sellers, or the wholesalers, and anyone involved in heavenly work, which isn't just sofrim, but even people who sell tcheles, they sell tzitzis, they're exempt from kriyashma, or tefillah, Davening or tefillin, or mikol mitzvah samoros b'Torah, and any mitzvah which is written in the Torah, the kind of Rav Yisiaglili, in order to fulfill the words of Rav Yisiaglili, Shai Rav Yisiaglili Oimer, Rav Yisiaglili used to say, "Ha'olisik b'Mitzvah patamina mitzvah." Anyone who's involved in a mitzvah is exempt from other mitzvahs. So now I want to revisit this first brayza chasan v'sheshvinen. They're patur from tefillah tefillin, but they're chayiv in kriyashma. Now, let's do a little bit of analyzing. Why is it that the Bnei Chuppah are exempt from tefillah and tefillin? So the simple understanding would be, is because the concept of Osik B'mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah. So if we're using here the concept of Osik B'mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah, so how could we continue reading the Brisa? The Brisa continues, V'chayav and B'Kriyashma, they're obligated in Kriyashma. Why are they obligated in Kriyashma? We, we hold Isik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. If you're involved in Simchas Chasan and Kala, you're partying to celebrate the marriage of the Chasan and the Kala, that should exempt you from all other mitzvahs. So why is Kriyashma different? So what are you going to tell me? No, really, we don't hold Isik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. And I'll bring you a proof. Uh, the proof is that, you're, that they're obligated in Kriyashma. But if that's true, we don't hold Isik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah, so then how could we exempt them from tefillah and tefillin? What's the exemption? Right? So this b'raisa is contradictory. Do we hold the old sikh b'mitzah patamina mitzvah or not? So it comes along Rashi and says as follows. P'turin mina tefillah, you're exempt from davening. Why? Deboi kavona. You need intent. You need intent? That's a reason to exempt you? So what, what, what kind of intent is that? What kind of answer is that? Just concentrate for a minute and daven like you usually do. Mina tefillin. Why are you exempt from tefillin? 
People used to drink at weddings. Maybe they still do. People used to drink at weddings, though, and it used to be a very fun, frolicking place, and therefore, it's not appropriate to put on tefillin. V'chayavin b'kriyashma. They're obligating kriyashma. Why? The mitzvah's kavanasa, eno ela pasakrishon. The mitzvah of kriyashma is only to have intent during the first pasuk. And they're able to have intent for a small moment in order to read the first Pasuk. Now, this is so troubling, right? Again, guys, we hold of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah or not? If we hold of it, so just say that. Why are you Pater from Tefillin Tefillin? Because we don't, because of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. So what, you're saying different reasons? So we don't hold of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah? So then, how come we're obligating you? And how can we're exempting you? Where do we see the fact that you need kavana? You need kavana, so leave the wedding hall, go daven, and come back. Why don't you have to do that? Because we don't hold of that. So comes along Rav Shila, and Rav Shila says, Rashi explains Rav Shila, is, So according to Rashi, Rav Shila is only saying Allah in regards to Kriyashima, the Torah. Because he's very concerned, he's concentrating on his future mitzvah of And the rest of the Bnei Achupa are obligated in Kriyashma. But less the who, the honey tonight, comes along Rashi and says, These Mishnaic authorities do not hold of the concept of Halisik B'mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah. They don't hold of it. So at least we answered one of our questions. Why is it that you're obligated in Kriyashma according to the first opinion in the Braisa? Because they don't hold of the concept of So if that's true, we're going to have to understand how is it that they're exempt from Tefillah and Tefillin, and how is it that a chasen according to Rav Shila is exempt from Kriyashma? Very good, you're busy. Very good, there's reasons why it's difficult to do the mitzvah. But you have to have an exemption. If you don't have an exemption then you're still obligated to do the mitzvah. So I want to say as follows. We saw before Ritva, the Ritva asked a question that why do we need a source for Osik mitzvah patamina mitzvah? If I'm involved currently in performance of a mitzvah, so why would I stop doing the mitzvah that I'm currently involved in to perform another one? What's better, what's more significant and important about the mitzvah, the second mitzvah that came to hand, than the mitzvah that I'm currently doing? So Rashi, I'm sorry, the Ritva, in order to say this, says that really I would have thought that if I'm in the middle of doing a smaller mitzvah, and now a bigger mitzvah comes, so then logic would dictate, stop doing the smaller mitzvah and perform the bigger mitzvah, right? Stop, I don't know, stop uh, putting on your tefillin and do Korban Pesach. If you don't Korban Pesach, you're going to be Chayv Kores. And tefillin, there's no uh, punishment if you don't put on tefillin comes along the Ritva and says, no, that inasmuch as you're currently involved in a mitzvah, you're never obligated in the second mitzvah in the first place. So now, how I understand that is that the Ritva logically holds that involvement in one mitzvah comes along and tells you you're not obligated to perform another one. If that's true, so maybe we can apply that logic to our Gemara. That granted, we don't have the bona fide exemption of Osik B'mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah, but that initial logic of the Ritva, we do have. What's that initial logic? That if I'm currently involved in a mitzvah, so then I don't have to perform another one. Why stop this one to perform another one? And comes along, maybe, Rashi's telling us that it's not true 100%. It's rather, that when I'm involved in a mitzvah, and there's a reason why the mitzvah that I'm currently involved in holds back and refrains as a reason, it disables my ability to perform the second mitzvah properly, then logic dictates to go ahead and keep doing the first mitzvah. So therefore, Rashi tells me, why am I exempt from tefillah? Because you need kavana, and that's really hard to do while you're in the, in the midst of your first mitzvah. You're partying. So logic dictates you should be exempt. And how come you're exempt from tefillin? Because logic dictates. There's a reason here. You're in the middle of a chasna, the wedding. People drink. It's a place where there's liveliness and excitement. So there, that's not a proper place to put on tefillin. And a chassan. There's another reason, according to, according to Rav Shila, a chassan's tarid. If he's tarid, so then we don't obligate him to do the, the other mitzvahs under those circumstances. So that's how we can go ahead and explain Rashi. The Rashi agrees with the Ritva 
that logic dictates if I'm currently involved in one mitzvah, then I don't, I'm not obligated in the second one. Not because there's a, a bona fide exemption, but purely based off logic. Therefore, if there was a logic, there was a reasoning why I should do the second one as the first one, then Rashi would also agree you have to do the second mitzvah. So now let's see Tosfos here. Comes along Tosfos, V'chayoven B'Kriyashma, Kedipirish B'Kuntris, like Rashi explained, why we are obligated in Kriyashma according to the Tanakhama, not like Rabshila. The mitzvah's kavanasa, the mitzvah of, that you have to have intent for for Kriyashma, you know the Pasuk Rishon, it's only the first verse, and a person can have proper intent to read just one verse, even when he's a chassan. Even a groom can have intent for one verse. So this Tosus is very troublesome. Tosus all he did was quote Rashi verbatim. Why in the world is Tosus quoting Rashi verbatim? Just because he likes Rashi, he's going to start quoting him? So quote every Rashi on the page. So why did Tosus feel the need to quote Rashi? That's question number one. Let's see the second Tosfos. The second Tosfos is as follows. This is already is in this opinion of Rav Shila. Explains Tosfos. Because really the Chassin is bothered. He's upset. And therefore he can't focus on Kriyashma. And the rest of the people at the wedding party are obligated in Kriyashma. They're not Tarid. They're not distressed. And these Mishnaic authorities don't agree to the concept of Osik Vimesapatamina Mitzvah. That's how Rashi explains, and again, Tosa starts off quoting Rashi. The Kasha comes along, Tosa, and he asks a question on Rashi's explanation. If the Tanakama, the first opinion in the Braisa, and Rabshila disagree with the concept of Osik Vimitzvah Patamina Mitzvah, if that's true, Yischayev chasen besukkah. Then a chasen should be obligated to eat in a sukkah. Why? Because a sukkah, there's no tirda. You don't need any kind of thought or any kind of kavana in order to fill the mitzvah of sukkah. You have to walk in. And therefore, it should come out that we should obligate a chasen in sukkah. Umashma, the chasen pota yersemi tanakama. And it, it's, the implication is that Rivashila is even more lenient than tanakama. So what's Tosas meaning to ask? So how I understand it and how it's spoken out in the Maharam, in the back of the Gemara, is that earlier we had a statement from Rav Abba Bar Zavda Amirav that a chasen is exempt from sukkah. And not just the chasen, but the Sheshvinan and the Bnei Achopa are exempt from a sukkah. If that's true, Tosas is making an assumption. What's Tosas' assumption? His assumption is that the Brisa, at the bottom of a Gemara, which we're discussing now, doesn't contradict the halacha of Rav Adabaz Barzavda. If our b'raisa of chasen v'sheshvinan, our pater from tefillah and tefillin, doesn't contradict Rav Adabaz Barzavda, so then how could that be? According to the logic which Rashi is presenting, inasmuch as there's no reason why he can't fulfill sukkah, there's nothing, no extra intent that he has to have, so then not only the tanakama of the b'raisa should hold that you're obligated to eat in a sukkah, even the chasen, but even Reb Shila, who's more lenient, should hold, should be of the opinion that you're obligated to eat in a sukkah when you're a chasen. So it comes out that the price is not like Reb Adabar Zavda, according to Rashi. And that, says Tosas, is very difficult. Comes along Tosas and says as follows, Lechach nire de kasavar chasen in klal. Afilu b'pasak rishon comes along Tosfos, and he makes a flip in the Gemara. I disagree with Rashi. Rashi, it's not true. You said this Gemara is going like two. This Bryce, I'm sorry, is going like two Mishnaic authorities that disagree with the concept of osik b'mitzvah patamina mitzvah. It's not true. The Bryce, the reason of the exemption in the Bryce, is because they agree to the concept of osik b'mitzvah patamina mitzvah. But there's a caveat that what? That when it comes to the first Pasuk of Kriyashma, is that called Efshadakayim Shneim or not? And according to Reb Shila, the Chasen is Pater because he can't have any Kavana whatsoever. Afilu B'Pasuk Rishon. Even on the first Pasuk. Avashar B'nei Achopo Yechulin L'Chavin V'Akriyashma L'Chudei Koi U'Bakula Achrina Muda L'Tanakama 
And when it comes to the rest of the chuppah, everyone else at the wedding party, they can have intent. And says Tosfos, we're only discussing the p'tur of the chasen and the obligation of the shoshvinan in regards to Kriyashma. But in regards to all the other mitzvahs, the tefillin and tefillah, they also agree that you're exempt. So what's Tosfos saying? Tosfos is saying a whole new gemara. That really, according to the b'raisa, the Tanakhama, the first opinion of the b'raisa, and Rav Shila hold of the concept of osik b'mitzvah, patamina mitzvah, not like Rashi. Aye, so how come you're chayev in Kriyashma, according to the Tanakhama? Because there, Kriyashma, according to Tosfos, let's not, let's, let's not forget. Tosfos holds, when do you have an exemption on other mitzvahs? When it's Yevshah Kayim Shneim, when you can't do both of them. And we said, what's it mean you can't do both of them? You can't do both of them at the same time. But what's at the same time mean? Does it mean really mamish babasachas in the same moment? Comes along Tosas and says, no, according to the first opinion of the Tanakhama, it means that within such a short amount of time, there's, there's one pasuk you have to say, one pasuk, that's still considered like you can do it at the same time. Very good, you have to stop for one pasuk. But that doesn't mean you can't do them at the same time. And short enough time that you can do it. Comes along Rav Shila and says, practically, he's not able to. If practically he could, I would agree with you. But practically, he's not able to. And therefore, you have that exemption of Osik B'mitzvah Patimina Mitzvah. So according to Tosvas, it's a whole different Gemara. In Rashi, we're discussing a, a Gemara where there's no Osik B'mitzvah Patimina Mitzvah. Rather, there's a logic, a Svara that tells me that if I'm involved in one Mitzvah, I don't have to do a second one. But according to Tosvas, we're back to the, the, the regular Halacha of once that's true, I want to go back to the first Rashi. Tosfos, I'm sorry. What was the first Tosfos? Tosfos is And quotes Rashi verbatim. We asked, how come Tosfos is quoting Rashi verbatim? Every Rashi that you like, you're just going to quote him? The answer is no. According to Tosfos, we disagree with Rashi. We're not going with Rashi's explanation of the Brisa. Why? Because Rashi's explanation of the Brisa is predicated on the fact that he's of the opinion that this price is going like the, uh, the authority that we don't hold of the concept of Osik Mitzvah, Mitzvah. But Tosos disagrees. Tosos doesn't understand the price like that. But Tosos wants to nonetheless borrow part of the logic of Rashi. That granted, I don't understand the whole Gemara like Rashi, but this one phrase that he says, in, in order to explain why the chasen, the groom, is obligated in Krishma, that I concur with Rashi about. That makes sense to me. And inasmuch as that's true, comes along Tosis and says, this is Rashi. This Rashi, this part of Rashi I like. This part of Rashi I keep. And that's why Tosis had to go out of his way to quote Rashi, even though it's right in front of us. So I think that's a pretty gishmak explanation of the Gemara Rashi Tosis up until here. And we're going to continue into this, uh, the next sugyas now of Hochei Drachim and Teishvukei Intaduru next week. Looking forward, everyone.